Well, as Americans, there are few things that are more precious to us than our freedom, right? We write about it, we sing about it, we campaign for it, right? We fight for it and we die for it. And the truth is, uh, freedom has become so synonymous with America that nations all around our world, they actually look to us as being the champions of freedom. And you know this, they consequently either love us or they hate us, right? All because of this idea that we have uh, of freedom. Now, I've always been interested in and I've always been fascinated by uh, American history. And I can still remember how much, um, how patriotic everything was in the summer of 1976 leading up to the celebration of our bicentennial as a nation. And as a matter of fact, I think everybody here needs one of these. If you have one of these in your garage still, I, I want to meet you because this is an amazing, amazing thing, right? Um, and I, 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 I never thought it was strange, right? Growing up as a kid in the 70s, um, it, it never seemed unusual to me um, that even though, you know, my friends would always like have costumes and dress up as like Batman or, or G.I. Joe um, or Scooby-Doo. Um, some of you remember this one, Mork from Ork, right? Some of you are trying to forget this one, Dance Fever, right? My favorite, my favorite costume was actually of Paul Revere. And I used to dream about what it would have been like to actually be um, one of the Minutemen. Now, the, the Minutemen, if you're not familiar with the Minutemen, the Minutemen were a group of citizens who were prepared and ready to fight off an invasion of British troops. And their name actually comes from the fact that they were required to assemble and be ready to fight in under a minute. Right? And Paul Revere, right? Paul Revere was the famous Minuteman who devised a system, think about this, before the invention of electricity, to reliably allow the entire eastern seaboard to know if the British were going to invade by land or by sea. And, and these men that we think of and that we call our founding fathers, whom um, the, the British thought of as terrorists, right? And we, the colonists, thought of as heroes. They would gather together and they would talk and they would discuss and they would dream and they would debate about the, what they wanted this new nation to one day become. And because all of them were basically from the same monarchy, from the same background, right, which is a monarchy, um, the truth is they knew much more about what they did not want for this nation than what they actually wanted for this nation. But two things they knew for certain. They wanted a form of government that was representative of the people, right, a government that was for the people by the people, and with the people. And they also wanted freedom. But they wanted freedom to not simply be a value of the country. They actually wanted freedom to be the cornerstone upon which the entire country would be built. Right? And these men who were far from perfect, right? who were far from perfect, um, they had, and certainly who were not all Christian. They had incredible insight into the nature of freedom. Yet, ironically enough, even though they had incredible insight, the truth is they also did not practice what they knew, right? Which is a whole other sermon. We can talk about that one later. But they had incredible insight into the nature of freedom. And in many ways, um, what we value and benefit from today, 246 years later, has a lot to do with what it is about the, that they understood about the nature and the, the, the blessing of freedom. And what we're going to discover together today in these next couple of minutes is something that our founding fathers knew very, very well. Which is that freedom does not come because of what a declaration or a constitution says. In fact, you may not know this, but once the Declaration of Independence was signed, the truth is very few people other than the 56 men who signed it actually knew what had happened. 
And so very quickly after the document was signed, they had to make copies of this signed document and get them distributed all throughout these 13 colonies. Consequently, it took many days, even weeks, for some communities to find out that they were a part now of a new and free and independent nation. Right? It's actually impossible for us, if you try to put yourselves into that, into that uh, environment, it's impossible for us to really be able to understand um, or to feel what it would have been like to get that news, that incredible news, that you are now free. But it's easy for us actually to understand and to know what it is that our founding fathers, what it is that they were thinking about and what they felt about freedom because they were constantly writing and speaking and debating about the subject. And even though they came from a wide range of beliefs when it came to the idea of God, Right? Some of them were devout Christians, absolutely, but some were also theists and others were deists. What's so important for us to remember is that where they had consensus was around the fact that there was a creator God. And not only was there a creator God, but there was also this, this sense of a divine law, right? the ought to's that actually come as a result that go way beyond anything that simple civil law or the have-tos that they would one day enact. They understood that for this new republic to work, there would have to be a combination of both the divine law and the civil law in order for the people of this new nation to be able to maintain um, this newfound freedom that this group of individuals had been working for and, and risking their lives to establish. Now, the other thing that's absolutely clear from their writings is that they understood personally and they understood that we in turn corporately would in fact be accountable to this creator God. They did not see themselves, this is so important, they did not see themselves simply as creating freedom from something. What they were doing in their mind was not simply about England and King George. They realized that what they were doing was also about creating freedom for something and freedom to do something. And if you have never personally read the Declaration of Independence for yourself, um, the language that you find in this document may be a little bit of a surprise to you. Because our founding fathers were not afraid to mix the subjects of religion and politics and government. And see, they knew that they did not want a theocracy, right, which is where you take divine law and you turn it into civil law. They knew from history that never works. But at the same time, they also did not want a system that was completely separate from and devoid of religious law. They knew that the best system would actually be a system that had civil law in order to protect people from the abuse of freedom, but at the same time also a system that could inspire us towards the divine law which contained the proper use of freedom. And so here's how they bring these two worlds together in the document that we know as the Declaration of Independence. They say this, they say, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled. Now don't miss this part. Appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude. Right? Rectitude actually means rightness or correctness. Appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. Right? In other words, this wasn't simply about freedom from England. Right? They were not appealing to King George. They were, in fact, appealing to a higher authority. An authority that they believed was the supreme judge of the world. And they were appealing 
for what? The rightness or the correctness of their intentions. Even though they did not share the same beliefs as to the nature of God. Even though they had varying beliefs as to the theological meaning or interpretation of the Old Testament and the New Testament and even the scripture themselves. What they had consensus on is that what they were doing, they were doing under the watchful eye of a creator God that they believed was the supreme judge of the world and they were appealing to this judge for the rightness or the correctness of their actions. So they continued by saying this, We do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. To which we might hear that and we might say to ourselves, okay, what in the world makes you guys think that we ought to be free and independent states? To which they would have responded by saying, we believe that it is actually the intention that it's God's will. Right? That's what they're saying. We actually believe it's God's will, not simply for us to have freedom from something. We actually believe it's God's will for us to have freedom for something. Freedom to do something. And since they were establishing this new nation under the canopy and under the authority of this creator God, they also embraced this creator God's understanding of freedom. Which is that freedom is not simply a way of preventing somebody of telling, from telling you what you have to do. That freedom is actually an opportunity. And that freedom is always a stewardship. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul also writes extensively on the nature of freedom. And it's fascinating to me how the teachings of the Apostle Paul actually parallel the writing of our founding fathers. This is what the Apostle Paul says beginning in verse 13. He says this. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Right now, for many of us, uh, the truth is, um, and you figured this out early on in life probably like I did, what the Apostle Paul is saying is there's actually a downside, right? There is a dark side of freedom. And, and for many of us, we experienced that the very first time we got into mom or dad's car by ourselves with our driver's license, right? And it was like, okay, just how fast can the minivan go? Or in my case, just how fast can the Pontiac 6000 STE actually go? And I very quickly abused my freedom, which then consequently led to a loss of my freedom. Maybe for you, your abuse of freedom first came in, in your freshman year in college, right? And you did exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, and you indulged the sinful nature, right? And listen, even if, if this is your first time in church, if this is your first time to ever watch a message from a church online before, listen, we all know um, what the sinful nature is, don't we? Because if we're honest, we all have one. Right? It's that thing inside of you that, that drives you to do things that you know you ought not do. But when there's nobody around to force you or prevent you from doing something, you find out that you're doing it anyway. And so the Apostle Paul says, okay, listen, um, now that you're free, right, now that you're free, he says, be careful that you do not abuse your freedom. Because real freedom, he's about to tell us, real freedom is never simply freedom from. Real freedom is also always freedom for. 
Because freedom without accountability and responsibility, it always leads to a loss of freedom. And see, what's so interesting to me and so fascinating to me is that the Apostle Paul and our founding fathers, they both not only understood this, but they both understood what exactly freedom must always be bound to. They both arrived at the same conclusion, which is that the only way to actually truly preserve freedom for everybody is to bind freedom to something And that something is what the Apostle Paul tells us in the very next verse. He says this, Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Right? Rather, meaning instead of indulging the sinful nature, right? Rather, I want you to actually use your freedom to serve one another humbly in love. If you want to know what to do with your freedom, the Apostle Paul would say. If you want to know what God would actually have you do now that you're free... He says, I want you to leverage your freedom for the sake of other people. You do what you ought to do in spite of the fact that nobody is making you do it. That freedom is not about getting as close to the law as possible without becoming a lawbreaker. That real freedom, true freedom, always asks the question, okay, how in the world can I actually use my freedom for the sake of somebody else? Not what do I have to do. But what ought I do? And then listen to how the Apostle Paul finishes this up. He says this. He says, for the entire law, and the law that he's referring to here is not the Ten Commandments. He's actually referring to the more than 600 other laws that made up what we would think of as the civil law of the nation of Israel. Right? 600 other laws that governed every aspect of every ancient Israelites' daily life. And the Apostle Paul says this, even though there's more than 600 of those civil laws, every single one of them, they are all fulfilled simply by keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The Apostle Paul is saying this, one simple command counterbalances all 600 of these laws, and don't miss this, he would say, the one command is not a prohibition. It's not a thou shalt not. It's actually a thou shall. It's a do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, use your imaginations with me for just a minute. Um, I want you to think for a minute about um, how, uh, how different things would be in our country for just one week, if for just one single week, everybody... Right? The good people, the bad people, the in-between people, the people you work for, the people that work for you, the people that work with you. Right? That, that if everybody from every segment of our society, the lawbreakers and the law keepers, what if for one week everybody simply did this? How many laws that we currently have on the books in our world, how many of those laws would be completely irrelevant during the course of that week? Right, because you know this, the laws in our states, the laws in our federal government, they are all, the vast majority of them, are laws that are designed to keep people from falling below a minimum level of acceptability. They are meant to be a minimum level of human decency, aren't they? Right, that's the nature of the law. Thou shalt not, and you have to. 
But what if for one week, everybody simply says, okay, I'm going to subscribe to something much higher than the letter of the law. I'm going to treat everyone for one week the way that I personally want to be treated. Right? Suddenly in that one week, a majority of our laws would be completely irrelevant during the course of that week, simply because of this one command. And so the Apostle Paul says, you want to understand what freedom's all about? You want to know, you want to understand what God thinks about freedom, what God's view of freedom is? It's not that you don't have to. It's not that you have to. It's that you ought to. It's that you have the opportunity to do something. It's not a have to. It's an ought to. Now, here's the problem with all this, right? And, and you know this, just like our founding fathers knew this, as we'll see in a minute. Um, see, they understood that they could pass a law um, that says, thou shalt not hurt your neighbor. But they could not pass a law that says, thou must love your neighbor. They couldn't do that. They knew that they could pass a law that says, okay, we're going to tax you and we're going to take your money and we're going to redistribute your money to people who are in financial need. They knew that they could do that, but they could not pass a law that says, thou shall be generous. And see, they realized that for this new nation, for this new republic to actually work, there had to be a belief in a sovereign God who has put his divine law into the hearts of every man and every woman. And it would require that there be civil law at both the state level and the federal level combined with divine law for this country to be and to remain truly free. For people to actually be inspired to live, not simply at the level of the lowest common denominator, but actually way, way, way above just that. Now again, let me illustrate it this way for a minute, so I'm going to pop quiz for you. I want you to think about the most inspiring law that you know of personally at either the state level or the federal level. So just think about that for a moment. Okay, don't work too hard because there aren't any, right? There aren't any. Right, nobody is listening to this right now. Nobody is watching this right now thinking to themselves, okay, you know what, Joe, I just, I love paragraph E of MCL, the Michigan Compiled Laws, chapter 28, subsection 425. I just love, whoever the author of paragraph E was, I just love the way that paragraph E is worded. Right, nobody is thinking that. Why? Because the law, right, even good law, good law does not inspire anyone to greatness, Right? It can't. It's not meant to. This is what inspires people to greatness. And see, our founding fathers understood this. But this cannot be legislated. Our founding fathers understood that there are two sides to freedom. There's freedom from and there's freedom to be. There's freedom from and there's also freedom for. And they all recognized that being free people meant that ultimately all of us are accountable to God for what it is that we do with our freedom. That freedom is not about living at the level of the lowest common denominator trying to just barely get by without becoming a lawbreaker. What you do with your freedom is you ask the question, what ought I do for the people around me? Because you can pass laws that will force me to rein in my wickedness, but you cannot pass a law that will inspire me to greatness. 
And then the Apostle Paul, in the very next statement, he, he makes a statement um, that, in fact, was actually a very strong warning to the people who first heard it. And it should be a very strong warning to us today. In the middle of this statement, there is an incredible, incredible principle that if you actually stop and think about for a moment, you will discover is very, very intuitive. This is what he says. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Right? In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying this. He's saying, listen, if you think, right, if, do not ever fall into the trap of thinking that, that you're somehow smart enough, that you're rich enough, that you're educated enough, that you're sophisticated enough, that you can actually separate the divine mandate to love one another from your experience of freedom. Because if you do, if you try to separate those two things, you will end up destroying each other. And not only that, you will also end up losing your freedom. Because ultimately, freedom comes from God. And freedom can only be maintained by maintaining a connection with God. And the moment you try to split these things apart and, and say, um, okay, let's just be free from freedom's sake and let's forget about God and let's forget about the, the mandate to love one another. As soon as you do that, whether it's a family or a business or a church or a nation, as soon as you do that, things will devolve to backbiting and fighting and you will end up destroying one another. In fact, not only that, you will end up losing your freedom. And see, here in this principle lies the tension that's so important for us to understand. This is a huge tension for any organization, any family, or any nation, which is that freedom, freedom does not stand in isolation ever. Right? Freedom is always a part of a context, and that context is God's command to love one another. And then the Apostle Paul goes on and he says, okay, if you don't believe me, I'm going to tell you what it looks like if you separate freedom from the mandate to love one another. It's going to end up looking like this. This is what Paul says. It's going to look like sexual immorality, right, because it's my body and I can do whatever I want to with it. It's going to look like, like impurity, right, I can look at whatever I want to, I can fill my mind with whatever I want to. It's going to look like debauchery. I can behave any way that I want to. It's going to look like idolatry and witchcraft. I can believe anything that I want to. It's going to look like hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition. Because after all, it's my money. It's my company. It's my profit. They're my employees. This is my stuff. Don't tell me what to do with things that belong to me. It's going to look like dissensions. It's going to look like factions. It's going to look like envy, drunkenness, and orgies and the like. Because after all, it's a free country, right? It's not hurting anybody. Come on, it's capitalism. Don't tell me that I can't behave this way. The Apostle Paul says, listen, listen, I'm warning you. As soon as you try to separate freedom from the mandate to love one another, this is what's going to happen. Because this is what always happens. This is where it goes personally. This is where it goes corporately. This is where it goes in a family. This is where it goes in a business. And this is where it goes in a nation. This is where it always goes. The only thing that enables freedom to actually keep you free is to make sure you keep freedom connected to the source of freedom. And the mandate to use your freedom for the sake of somebody else. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul says, listen, you're going to lose your freedom. 
And he says, in fact, this is, let me tell you, I told you what it'll look like if you try to separate these things. Let me tell you what happens when you keep freedom connected to the source of freedom. This is how it looks when that happens. It looks like joy. It looks like peace. It looks like patience. It looks like kindness. It looks like gentleness. It looks like faithfulness. And it looks like self-control. And then if you've ever read this very familiar section of scripture in your own Bible, you come across a phrase that you've probably skipped right over. But I'm telling you what the Apostle Paul says next is absolutely brilliant. He says this, against these things there is no law. You'll never be arrested for being too kind. You will never get a ticket for having too much joy. No police officer is ever going to yank you out of a sporting event and arrest you for having too much self-control. Now, you can absolutely get a ticket for losing your patience, and you can be arrested for not having enough self-control, and you can absolutely go to jail for being unkind. But there is no law against kindness. The Apostle Paul says, this is the flow. Right? This is always the flow. Where freedom is abused, there is the need for law. And the more freedom is abused, the need there is for more law. And again, see, this is the amazing thing. Our founding fathers actually understood this as it relates to freedom and as it relates to establishing a nation. They understood that with the gift of freedom comes accountability and responsibility. That in order for us to be a nation that was known for its freedom, there had to be a national conscience. That somehow men and women needed to, to be inspired not simply to keep the law, but they needed to be inspired in their accountability to the divine law. The law that resides only in the hearts of men and women who have submitted themselves to their Heavenly Father. Now, I want to ask you a question that you've probably never thought to ask, but you absolutely should. What in the world did our founding fathers actually intend to do with their newfound freedom when they established this country? Right? What was their dream? Ask for a minute. Don't think about our dreams for, for a minute. Think about what was their dream 246 years ago? What would, did they think? would actually make everything they sacrificed for and everything that they worked for, what would have made it worth it for them? Right? The last sentence of the Declaration of Independence actually answers this question. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Right? In other words, here's what they're saying. Once we establish this new and free and independent nation, the first thing that we're going to do with our freedom is we're going to commit to serve one another. And it's like, okay, why in the world would you do that? Like, is there a law about that or something? You know, why, why would, why, why, what in the world would make you do that? What is it that allowed these men to look across a table from one another 
and to look into each other's eyes and say, all that I am and all that I have, my honor, my life, my personal wealth, all of that I'm putting at your disposal personally. All that I have, I'm giving to you to use for your benefit. What in the world would make a person do that for somebody else? It's love. It's love. That's the supreme virtue. The proper application of freedom is not, I'm an American and I can do whatever I want to because there's no law against it. Our founding fathers understood that the proper application of freedom is to love one another and to sacrifice for the sake of the men and women who call this nation Understand, they understood this, that freedom is a gift. And with that gift always comes accountability and responsibility. And their ideal situation would be a nation filled with free people, free men and free women, who understand that they are accountable to the divine law, the law that begins with love one another. So, here's my challenge to you today as we begin our celebration of the freedom that God has entrusted to us, both individually and corporately as a nation. How different would our world actually be if every time we heard the word freedom, we thought, what does love require of me? Because see, the key to preserving our freedom, the freedom that's so precious to us both as individuals and as a nation, is actually found in asking and answering this question, the Jesus question. And to honor my Father in heaven, I will ask and I will answer this question. And the harder you are to love and the more that I have to give up in order to answer this question, then the more honoring that is to my Father in heaven. Why? Because that is exactly what Jesus did for me and for you, so that we could actually be free. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, those words, biting and devouring each other, destroying one another. Father, as I read those words this week and as they just kind of rang in my ears, those words I don't think have ever felt more timely and more true than they do right now. And Father, I get it, right? There's just a few of us in the room and, and you hear a message like that and, and give a message like that and we think okay what in the world can I do like I, you know, like, God what am I supposed to even do with, with this and, and Father the truth is I, I don't know I, I don't know what difference um, we can make I don't know what difference I can make but Father I do know the difference that you can make 
And so would you please, please send a new outpouring, Father, of your Holy Spirit into us, into our nation, that each one of us, individually and personally, that we would be reminded that there is no freedom apart from the source of freedom. That we would be inspired not to live at the level of the lowest common denominator, not to live like all those people around us, Father, but we would actually be inspired to live like your son, the one who has saved us and who has redeemed us. And so, Father, my prayer for all of us today is that you give each of us the wisdom to know what to do with what it is that we've heard. And most importantly, Father, that you'd give us the courage to act, whatever that means for us individually, and to not simply embrace the have-tos that we're called to live by, but the ought-tos that you have put with your word and your spirit into our hearts. And Father, I ask for me and for all of us that you would hear us in these next few moments as Holy Spirit you bring to mind the times that we have not lived up to that calling, that high calling. Father, I ask that you hear us as we personally and personally and silently confess our sin to you. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus not only asked, but he answered that question. He answered that question even when the answer meant losing his freedom, even when the answer meant him suffering personally, even when the answer was not what he wanted. The good news of the gospel is that your Savior Jesus, he has forgiven you of your sin by his blood and through his death. Through his resurrection, he has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. So your Father, your Savior, has removed your sin from you. And so you are truly forgiven in Jesus' name.